All right. We'll start our January episode of Pummel Innovators by PummelCulture.com. I'm your host, Arnie Roskumar. I would like to please ask everyone to hold your questions until the end of our interview, at which point I promise I'll open up the floor for any questions. I'd like to introduce our guest now, who is the deputy chairman and co-founder of 369 Global, Mr. Kumaran Nadesan. Hi, Kumaran. Hi, Arnie. I've been called Mr. in a while, so thank you. For <laughs> I had to, I had to do it in the beginning, you know, and then I'll, I'll just refer to you as Kumaran from now on. Thank you. Well, you know, I don't know if our viewers know, but I do, that you are in sunny Chennai right now, or Chennai right now, and we're in the middle of a, or the remnants of a snowstorm in Ontario. So can you please introduce yourself to us and then let us know how you ran away to the sunny, sunny Chennai? Thank you, Arani. Uh, so as you said, I'm the deputy chairman and co-founder of 369 Global. Um, I'm not sure what else to share about myself. Uh, I'm a I'm a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a, a, most importantly a, a father of two young kids, uh, age four and one, who are here with me in Chennai. Uh, so it was not just uh, me moving, but it's my entire family, my my partner, our kids, uh, my in laws, and so on. So it's a whole it's a whole show out here for sure. Um, what brings me to Chennai is part of uh, my mandate at 369 Global. We are a rapidly expanding conglomerate based in Canada, headquartered in Ajax. We have a business interest in education and training, financial services, creative industries, and social impact. Uh, we run everything from private career colleges in Ontario to brand agencies to um, uh, doing uh, angel investments, especially in the tech space. Um, we do a lot of uh, ESG and CSR work uh, in Canada and abroad in, in places like Sri Lanka. And the reason why I'm out here in Chennai is because we're very keen on looking at uh, what the next uh, global reper repercussions are going to be um, as a recession comes to us and what opportunities there are for companies like us that, that are looking towards um, immigration as a source of, uh, of new business opportunities. So India is going to be uh, is probably going to overtake China in terms of its economic growth in the next uh, 10 years, even though China's growth is going, it's going to plateau. India right. still has about 25 years of growth ahead. Um, and we really want to um, explore uh, opportunities that might be there for 369 Global in India. And no better way to do it than to actually put uh, your money where your mouth is and sit in the market and see what, what's going on. So that's what brings right. me to Chennai in a nutshell. Uh, Amazing. Well, you know, you have a great supportive family. You know, everyone got up and left with you and, you know. Well, they're ready to come back tomorrow, but that's oh. another story. <laughs> the snow's not going we're all We're all oh. sick. Uh, all of us oh. are sick. Uh, so it's, it's and, and the mosquito bites, I, I think it's that my kids were born in Canada, so the mosquito bites are not helping my poor kids. They're like, it's almost like, uh, chicken pox, the bites, because they have an allergic yeah. um, reaction to it. So it just like becomes boiled. So it's a whole thing. Oh, that's you going know, on that, here. That I'll I'm spare you the sure details. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's not fun. I remember not liking it when I went when I was a child as well. But hey, it's snowing here. So you're doing one better. Oh, hands but, down. This one without any pain. Of course. Um, well, thanks for talking about your, you know, what your mandate is at 369 Global, why you're at Chennai. Um, and, you know, 
and you kind of spoke towards this, but the last few years for the economic world has been kind of tumultuous, right? We had the pandemic, we have the recession, if I'm allowed to say it's a recession, no one likes to say it. Um, and now we're kind of recovering, but you know, inflation is really high. What um, do you see are opportunities and what do you keep yourself motivated on to push through these um, tough times? You know, I, I don't want to sound like a like a callous uh, business person because you know I still have I, I still have hangers about calling myself a business person because I was in the public service for the longest time in my life right. until I joined up with my with my business partner Morally uh, just a couple of years ago. But they always say uh, when there's blood on the streets is the best time. Um, and even though there is a quote unquote recession, I mean there is a recession. Let's just face it. I'll just I'll say it. Thank you. Um, but <laughs> Uh, but I think, uh, you know, the recession, um, you know, there are sectors that are always recession proof and there are sectors that always thrive when there's a recession, right? So mm -hmm. especially in, in some of the businesses that we run at 369 Global, especially on the education and training side, yeah. um, if you take the pandemic, for example, we actually experienced uh, double digit growth in that part of the business uh, when, when there was uh, the pandemic, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, part of that had to do with the fact that we went to uh, virtual learning delivery uh, at our colleges, um, um, but also because during recession, as, as you can understand, people hunker down and they want to use that opportunity to upgrade themselves. There are usually government subsidies that are provided that people typically, um, you know, channel towards learning uh, amongst other things. So, so I, I think you know uh, it is uh, when you talk about motivation. I think it, it is really. As a, as a business leader, I think you just have to stay resilient and know that um, there are very um, difficult decisions to be made uh, in times of recession, whether that is cutting costs or, or, or making hard pivots. Uh, but, but I think it would be uh, a missed opportunity if you don't actually realize the potential, uh, potential uh, things that are possible even during times of recession. So at our end, um, you know, a lot of our businesses are especially focused on a, on a key demographic, which is immigration in Canada. And we know, um, given the fact that uh, the immigration levels that have been set by the federal government uh, and that will continue to be set by federal governments, no matter who's in power, um, is going to only help us and not hurt us. Um, as, the, as the world uh, changes and there are new, um, you know, new consolidation of power, I think Canada's brand is still strong enough to attract uh, good people to the shores. And, and so we want to be at the forefront of that in terms of helping welcome those newcomers, um, educating them, upskilling them, and, and matching them to labor market shortages that we experience here in Canada. So for us, uh, recession, no recession, pandemic, no pandemic, uh, the business goes on and the business continues to grow. And, 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 and in that, we're very confident. Uh, yeah. and, and partly because we have very strong people, very good people, people who've gone through multiple recessions, multiple immigrations and displacements themselves, like 90% of our workforce is uh, racialized from different parts of the world. So for us as immigrants and as immigrant owners and people who employ a lot of immigrants, mm -hmm. we've seen much worse, I think. Uh, right. than a recession. So yeah. we'll, we'll be here and we'll continue to grow um, strength to strength. Awesome. Resilience is something I think I'll come back to. But, you know, it's funny, you said business tends to go on or business has to go on. It's spoken like a true businessman. 
But like you said, before you were in the private sector, you actually were in the public sector. So I think everyone would be kind of curious to see what kind of motivated you to lead or leave the public sector, move to the private sector, and how that actually came to play. I have a terrible sense of humor, so I'll spare you my jokes. Uh, no, go ahead. Say, it's all about the money. No, no, it's not <laughs> uh, no. I, you know, I think uh, you know when when I um, when I finished university uh, two centuries ago, um, I I joined the public service um, and I did different things in the public service, from strategy to program management to intergovernmental policy to um, senior executive support. Um, and you know there comes a point where you know at the end of um, at the end of many like almost fifteen years of you know policy making and 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 taking a look at the world and taking certainly look at Ontario because I was in the Ontario Public Service in terms of how I can help residents of Ontario or businesses of Ontario, I always found my meetings with stakeholders to be very exciting because they were the direct recipients or they were the ones who then translated your policy objectives and your program design into actual impacts downstream. Um, so for me, I found those meetings very, you know, eye-opening because you all, as a good policy advisor, you always need to understand what is, what are the problems that the market is facing and then try and resolve and create policy that, that hopefully helps and, and doesn't hinder. Um, so there's always been this thing at the back of my mind where I, 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 I didn't know if I was going to be in the public service, at least at one stretch for a very long time, because that was always a part of my makeup, because I, I always felt that um, you need to move across different sectors to gain a much more holistic um, frame of, of what needs to happen. Uh, and that's great timing, because I have my great friend Roshani Vigaraja from the OPS joining, so I'll, be, I'll, be a, I'll say good things about the OPS now. Uh, but, uh, but but what I was saying is, um, you know, having been at the table with stakeholders talking about, you know, what's keeping them up, up at night and understanding how your policy design and program management can help them, I'm always curious to be on that side of the table. And then so when the opportunity came up uh, with my business partner, where I was able to kind of, you know, start wading into the private sector, I really understood that policy cannot obviously happen in a vacuum. And in fact, it is not policy informs the market. The market informs policy that then creates the environment for the market to do even better. So, so that was my opportunity. I thought that that was my break. Uh, it was also, you know, that was the sort of the micro aspect of it, or the or the or the, or the personal, the public or the macro aspect of it is obviously the pandemic. It was, you know, the 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 era of the great mass migration or mass retirement or whatever you want to call it. And I thought if this wasn't the window that I would take to go out and and get some experience in the private sector, then I would never leave then I should just stay in the public service and I would be, you know, in the public service for 25, 30 years. Um, the, 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 what do you call it? The, the, the pathway is pretty set. Like, you know, you become a manager, you become a director, you become an assistant deputy minister, then you become a deputy minister. Uh, and that was it. Uh, Roshan is giving all kinds of emoticons. Uh, yeah, yes. So I don't know what's going on there. She, she gets it. <laughs> So, and, and, you know, for some people that's good, you know, they, you know, they want that structure. They understand that flow. Um, my life has never been structured. I've been, uh, I've been a, a refugee, immigrant, whatever, like four or five times in my life. It's never been a straight line, personal, professional, whatever it may be. And right. so I thought I can always come back to the public service. 
but I may not always get the opportunity to get this market experience. And so when that time came, the pandemic came, it was just a confluence of, of different motivations, uh, Arani, and, mm -hmm. and I saw that as a window to try out something new. And I'll just end with this. I tend to ramble, Arani, so you'll have to just try and cut me off. No, uh, good. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'll say this and end it. I even say this now to my my business partner, Muroli Srinarayanabas. I, I always tell him, I am so mad at him that <laughs> he didn't tell me sooner that we right. could be doing this because it's it's been a phenomenal experience. And yes. even in my current role at 369 Global, guess what? I'm at this moment in Chennai working on three provincial grants, one federal grant, talking to minister's office, organizing a reception at Queen's Park. It's like I never left in government. But yeah. from this side of the table, the dynamics are entirely different and completely within your control. And what is life if you don't have the autonomy to do what you want to do? So awesome. I'm so glad I'm here. I just wish I did it sooner. I may come back to the public service like yeah. 10, 15 years, but it'll be on my own terms, which is the best way to live your life. Got it. I love that. I, I, I respect that for sure. Um, so you said you were a refugee at a point. So you were born in Sri Lanka, I believe. You had grown up in Oman. You have roots in Chennai. You know, you obviously were Canadian or are Canadian. Um, how do you think all of that, and you did speak to this, but how do you think all of that kind of moving around, uh, getting used to different situations, different geographies, how did that shape who you are today and how it led you to where you are? Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, we talk a lot about this, uh, you know, where, where we are right now, but it's the whole notion of uh, third culture kids, mm -hmm. uh, you know, third culture kids who've lived in different places, have had um, different periods of immersion in different cultures. Um, and so they're able to gain an awareness of the world and have a different range of skills and understanding and perspectives that really help them position uh, as, as leaders in different spaces that they're in. And I think it's absolutely true. Um, uh, you know, I was born in Jaffna, uh, Sri Lanka, Amalulam, left when I was about five to Chennai, India, where I started my formal schooling from like grades one to five. Uh, so that was as a refugee where I went to India and in India, then I went to Oman, uh, the Middle East uh, as, an, uh, as, a, as a political refugee actually, because of other reasons that were happening in Chennai with some, you know, some larger political things going on. Right. Uh, and then we came to Canada 25 years ago. And then I actually um, moved to Australia as well for about six oh. months to, uh, to do law school. That's, a, that's another story for another day. Um, <laughs> the, what, what I think happened with all of this is you get the sense of that you belong everywhere. Um, right. And at the same time, you don't belong anywhere. Uh, I truly feel um, that, you know, at the end of this, I'm 41 now, that Canada is probably the closest thing I would call uh, as home now. But even that comes with a lot of like hangups and what have you. Um, and and uh, you know what happens as a result of this is, when I say you belong everywhere, you belong nowhere, is you really find a way to connect with everyone on some point. Um, you know, the way, the, I don't know if it's a negative or a positive way, it's, it's not, not, you're not a chameleon because I think your values are consistent. But it, you really get to understand and appreciate at least one insight in somebody's lived experience when you moved around so much and you've met all kinds of different people. You can you can relate on one thing. The flip right. side of that is you've missed like big parts of um, a decade worth in that particular country. 
So right. if people give me pop culture references of Canada from like the 80s yes. to the late 90s, I have no freaking clue. <laughs> uh, if, uh, you know, but if you tell me, you know, um, 80s, like mid 80s to like early 90s India, like Tamil Nadu culture, like I'm on it, right? So, yes. so that is the other side of it, but that's okay. You know, you can relate to other things that, that Canada has to offer from the 2000s on, like, you know, when you were there, right? So, um, anyways, I'm I'm also very sick, just as a disclaimer, so my mind is all cuddled up. So I'll try and remember the question, Arnie, I'll come back to it. Um, but the, the idea very much is third culture kids have an immense appreciation for different lived experiences because they've gone through it themselves. They understand the value of different perspectives, ways of looking at a problem uh, from different vantage points. And the ability to relate to people, the ability to communicate in different ways to the other party in order to elicit the kind of reaction and response you want. I think these are things that third culture kids have had to do just to be resilient and to survive. You've had right. to make new friends each time. You've had to create your own space each time. So, you know, this is, these are all the skills that university does not teach you, that post-secondary mm -hmm. institutions don't teach you. This is, these are things that, that that seep deep into your way of being because you've lived in all these different places and have these life experiences. So I, you know, I'm not here to judge anyone, but I think third culture kids, especially in an, in a, in an increasingly globalized world where borders are meaningless, I think if you start looking at the leadership ranks in Canada or even the world in, in the next decade, you'll see that at the top, mostly, I mean, it's not, there's no 100% of anything. At the top, uh, you're going to find people who've lived in different places or have had uh, different, uh, uh, you know, they've studied in different places or they've worked in different places. Because that, uh, that combination uh, is going to be critical to have multilateral thinkers, multidimensional thinkers and multisectoral right. thinkers at the top, ensuring that we are leading Canada and leading the world into the next stage of what, what, what is in store for us in the future. Got it. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, interesting. You said that, you know, you don't realize or you, you're not aware of the 80 to 90 pop culture uh, references. So as I was telling you ahead of the call, I was I was born here, but I grew up listening to Tamil movies and watching Tamil movies, listening to Tamil songs. So, you know, other than like maybe the Spice Girls, I don't really know what people are talking about either. But that kind of leads me to the next point is what can the, the young generation, I, I guess, uh, now, the Tamil community now, the Gen Zs, the millennials, what can they get from having this Tamil community that's very united and ready? And, you know, we'll speak to the organizations that you were part of or, or co-founded after, but what can they really take from this kind of community that we've put together so far? You know, as a young uncle, I appreciate these moments of giving advice to Gen Zs and millennials. <laughs> uh, no, I think, you know, my answer to the last one is the, uh, it, it leads into this one. Um, as Tamils, I think we have an incredible opportunity that has been given to us as our birthright to become these third culture kids and mm -hmm. to be part of a global global just nation um, that is the Tamil nation, right? 
that I mean, th this is a blessing. As I was saying before the call, this is a blessing. You know, sometimes it may feel like a curse. You know, you can't ever do something without three other Tamils finding out about it. But that's okay. You know, yeah. th that's a small price to pay for ultimately this this brotherhood, this sisterhood that we are blessed to have, um, which is which transcends nationalities. It trans uh, transcends uh, citizenships. It transcends borders. And if you were even born in Canada, the fact that you had access to this wider repertoire of knowledge and cultural insights because of your Tamilness immediately sets you apart uh, from say the rest of your immediate surroundings maybe as somebody who has a different perspective, has a different mm -hmm. understanding of the world, has a different vantage point, which you can then utilize for how you go about your professional life, your personal life, your social life, your leadership and so on. And mm -hmm. as Tamils, like we are, what, 180 million, I, I forget the exact number strong in almost all the countries. So we are inherently third culture kids and you can go, and this has been my experience. Uh, one of the things I did in, in 2014, Arnie, I backpacked to like 30 countries uh, in oh. 2014, yeah, in that entire year. I love to travel by the way, not, it's not already part of the third culture kid thing, I think. Yeah. Um, and in every single place I went, most of them, not every single, most of them, including like China, I went to that one Tamil restaurant or one nice. Tamil place, one Tamil historical thing. And I went there and understood. So I found, for example, in, in, Viet, uh, in Vietnam, in uh, Ho Chi Minh city of all places, a Murugan temple that was built in the late 1800s. And I climbed up to the terrace where the Gobram is. And there's a photo I took of Murugan. I, I, this is just a lot. I'm an uncle, so I can go off on tangents. <laughs> uh, a young uncle. There's a, a, a statue of Murugan, and behind that is the old communist flag. Oh, and wow. I thought that was a great shot. And and the reason I'm saying is, Tamilness continues to survive. It is global. It spreads. And especially as Canadian Tamils, all of us on the call. We had a unique vantage point because Canada is already seen as a great destination. Canada is already seen as uh, one of the best exemplars of like what the world is going to be like and act like and value like. And mm -hmm. so we have both that thing and we have the Tamil thing. It is a very powerful combination. So my only advice to Gen Z and millennials to come back to your question is don't lose out on this opportunity. Travel, 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 open yourself up to new experiences. Uh, you know, you can always come back and, and, and find value in your professional life. But if you have the opportunity to travel and if you have the opportunity, get involved, get involved in the community. This community with all of no community does, you know, every community has its problems. But what you take from it at the end of the day is much more. It is uh, it lasts your lifetime. And, and when and you realize halfway through, it is not even your lifetime that you are really thinking about. It is your lifetime of your kids and your grandkids that you start thinking about as you get into this work more and more. So uh, my only advice is get involved. If you can't even get involved abroad, get involved in Canada, be a part of the community, build this community because this community has survived all kinds of things. Uh, and I don't just mean the Ulam Tamil community. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, the global Tamil community has survived a lot. Uh, we, you know, we have, lot more to do um so get involved right. travel and and really come into understanding your thumbness and 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 help build it uh for what that's going to look like in future awesome thank you that kind of brings me to the next question which 
um, has to do with involvement. So you have been critical in founding some of these um, Tamil organizations. You and I were acquainted first, or acquainted through Tamils in Finance, for example. Um, there was Tamils in Public Service. So what kind of um, led you to create these groups? What was your motivation behind it? And what were you trying to seek from it? Um, if you can speak towards that. Uh, so I think, um, you know, because I moved around a lot, um, <laughs> you know, and especially in Oman, where I grew up, I, I learned, I, I studied Tamil. Um, I actually went to a, a Sri Lankan school. Um, every expat community in Oman had their own school, so there's a Sri Lankan school. So I grew up mostly with, you know, in my formative year, years, like from grades five to like 10, 11, I grew up with a lot of like Singalese and Muslims and burgers and not really um, Tamils. I think I was like one of the few Tamils in the school. Mm. So, so I had this weird experience of like being Sri Lankan at school and then in, in at home, like speaking Tamil, Cyber, right. Tamayan, you know, Tamil history, Tamil literature. Both my parents were educated. My mom was a lawyer, my dad was an accountant. So they knew their thing. So it was this weird dichotomy. And then when I went to Canada, I was excited because I knew there was a much larger Tamil community and I wanted to engage because I didn't really have that kind of unfiltered deep dive into like Tamilness, right? Yeah. So almost immediately, I think I, I came to Canada in 97 and in 99, I joined Kantai, uh, which is, uh, which I called the cultural lab of the Tamil community leadership because I think a lot of wonderful people came out of, uh, came out of um, Kantai, including uh, you know, uh, politicians and broadcasters and business leaders and lawyers and, and so on. Uh, so I, you know, I was part of Cantide. I went into the, uh, went into UFT, uh, became the president of the TSA at Scarborough campus and, and all of these things. And, and so the motivation was always the sense of wanting to belong and wanting to be a part of my Tamil family and, and what have you. And that was my motivation. And as you went through that, you also, you know, I also started having ideas in terms of understanding that there is a difference between organizing around cultural affinity, mm -hmm. and there is a way in which you can take that cultural affinity and create potentially tangible assets and values out of that. Not in a business sense, but I think in, I guess, what Gen Z and millennials will call now as clout, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. because because that's what it is uh, right so so when this came about and I was in the public service at the time the Ontario government uh, I've been very blessed I think especially in tips I always tell of all the most of the organizations I've found tips is one of my favorites because in many ways despite the pain and Roshani I'm sure will, will appreciate this it has survived and it has grown and it has continue to live up to its potential and its, uh, its, its original founding mission and mission, right? Um, so founded TIPS and the idea was about, <laughs> no Roshani, I actually say that to everyone. Uh, uh, the, the idea behind TIPS was to organize all Tamil elected officials, as well as Tamil civil servants across all orders of government under one umbrella around one table. And we've managed to do that. So you have a network in Canada that has all Tamil public servants on the administrative political divide or interface uh, under one network called the Tamils and Public Service Network. And when you do that, it is no longer about individuals sitting in this large 
sector alone and wondering if there are others like them, you immediately have a home, you have mm -hmm. a sense of belonging, you have a common purpose, you have a unified approach to advocacy, to, to doing what you want to do in the public service or even outside of the public service. One of the best things about TIPS is the fact that it's not just organizing for people in the public service, but it's also about then seeing how can you bring that value and create uh, more energy in the community. Because this overall is not about sector, it's about sector capacity, but it's about community capacity. So TIPS was a great model. And then I said, okay, so public policy is done. By the way, this was a plan that I had a few years ago, because um, right. I always thought policy, finance, and business needs to sit together, because right. that's when things move. Mm -hmm. We're not there yet, and I'll get into that. So public policy, that table was set. And mm -hmm. the next thing was business. So we organized a, a table, I co-founded a table called the Tamil Entrepreneurs Organization. This one, not a lot of people know because it's an invite only, it's private. And yeah. this is a, a bit different from other similar uh, organizations that exist in the community because we went after mostly tech founders, mostly people who are tumble but are not even in the community because they've had the exits and their IPOs listed in NYSC and TSX, but nobody even knew that it was run by Tamils behind the scenes. So right. we went after those people and we told them, look, you can't just sit here. You're not a lone wolf. You have a community responsibility to not just do well, but help spark even more entrepreneurship and inspire even more entrepreneurs in the community. So the Tamil mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs Organization came into being and you have, uh, and people sitting around that table are either they're running unicorns or they're uh, about to run unicorn companies, right? So very strong people. So right. government was set, business was set, missing piece was capital, Tamils and mm -hmm. finance. Tamils and finance, once again, I, I remember this clearly. It was a lunch meeting between uh, me, Langawana, Roy, and another gentleman called Bahi. And that's where we hatched the pod. Bahi's been with me on many of these things. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's been a friend for many years now. Um, and we hatched a pod uh, to create the thing called Tamils and finance. And, you know, it has become so much more than what we thought. And, and I'm very grateful to those gentlemen for seeing the vision and, and helping come together and making it a reality. Um, the other thing that I need to say is all of these things are happening with the understanding that this is about Tamilness and the Tamil community. For example, the reason even why Tamils and Finance came about is because we were thinking about creating, the, the original idea was to create a fundraiser for the Harvard Tamil chair. That was like the founding reason for why we wanted to bring and we felt like, you know, folks on Bay Street might have a little bit of a check to cut. So let's just get some people. And that's how the idea started, but then it became much more than that. So the, right. the whole thing that I'm saying is all of these associations and then there is conduit and my work with Tamil Rights Group and all of these things, they're all, the best way to summarize is I think, they're all ways of organizing around sectors. Right. But ultimately all of these need to come into play. Mm -hmm. That is the part that is a challenge right now, but that's okay because these things have to mature themselves individually first. But when public policy intersects with business, gets ideas from finance, that becomes powerful. Then when those three things consolidate and then we think politically about what is going on back home in, in Ulam and what can we do as Canadians to move around things back home and in the global Tamil world, that becomes Tamil rights group. 
how do we then get to those political outcomes in order to elicit sustainable development outcomes that becomes conduit. So there is this mm. ah, evil plan. No, there is this, there is, there is a method to the madness, but right. this is not this is not a one week, two week thing. This is my mother, my, you know, who who I lost um, a few years ago said, I've given up on you. Like, you know, you you care more about outside of the house than inside the house. And she might be true. I, I kind of hear this from my wife now. Um, but this is a this is a lifetime thing. It's not something that's going to get done in a year or two years. I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to be now a young uncle and then an old uncle still yapping about this stuff and trying to convince people that there is this big, massive, beautiful opportunity and beautiful world that's possible for us as Tamils. And we all need to come together in order to achieve that. I'll be yapping about that 30 years, 40 years on my deathbed probably. Uh, <laughs> um, we will get, yeah, we'll get to the questions at the end, but I think since I'm mindful of time, I'll, I'll wrap up with this question, but um, you know, first of all, thanks for sharing that because you kind of went into one of my other questions, which was what can we do better as a Tamil community to further enhance our footprint? Um, but you kind of went into that. And I just want to know, um, who are some Tamil people in the global community that you think are doing some good work in the community, making a good reputation for us? Um, who are some people that Kumran thinks is doing a good job? No, I'm, that's a, that's a hard one. I mean, there are so many good people doing, I think, great, great work. That's that's the obvious answer. The diplomatic uh, answer. Yeah, that's the diplomatic an, uh, answer. But you know, I think, uh, you, you know, there's there's always been like amazing, I think, Tamil leaders, right? Like if you take, uh, if you take, um, say, Singapore, uh, you know, the early formulation of Singapore as they cleaved off from Malaysia, um, that cleavage happened because of like. Tamils who then became the early um, the initial presidents and prime ministers of Singapore, oh, the presidents of Singapore, right? Like I think it was Mr. S. Rajaratnam, like you know the great political leadership there. Uh, there is uh, Tan Sri Anand Krishnan who runs Petronas in Malaysia and is still the largest shareholder in Petronas Malaysia. Another great example of business leaders like Singapore Airlines was set up by like uh, uh, the Tamil gentleman. I, I forget his name. I think it's J. P. Chennaiya. I, I names not is escaping me right now. Mm -hmm. So there's there's been business leaders like that. There's been political leaders like that. Uh, you know the the you know SJB Chilanayam who fought so much for Tamil Ulam and uh, Ulam Tamil's rights. And Sri Lanka was a great leader. Um, I I have this uh, I have this tendency uh, maybe because I was born in the eighties where I always have an appreciation sometimes for people who are not alive because I always think people who are alive i'm like that's good uh you know but that could be more but but no I, but that's not that's not that's not uh, charitable i think so so you know i i actually think um you know what sundar Pichai is doing at google uh what indra nui has managed to complete uh, achieve as as a mother as a, as a woman of color uh, at, at pepsi uh you know there is um uh yeah there there are i'm 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 drawing a blank now, but but I think oh you so many, got something it's coming to me now. It's like there's I, I think there is Dananjay Sri Skandaraja who runs uh, who runs Oxfam uh, in the not for profit sector. Uh, politically, mm. you have uh, a, a few strong cabinet ministers. I think in uh, like Anita Anand, who's a cabinet right. who's a 
who's the minister of defense, like of Defense Canada, like uh, that's insane, I think. And and all kudos to her. And I think she, at least now, I think, I don't know what she did before, but I think she now uh, certainly, I think, uh, affiliates herself or has that affinity towards her Tamil identity. So, so I think there's tremendous people. Um, I think for me, I think inspiration comes from those people, certainly, yes, but, but it's almost like, the, the point that I wanted to make with all of this is we, I think we sometimes have this tendency to, uh, to gravitate towards charismatic leadership that we, right. we, we find that one person and say, like, you know, we'll just do, it. I think leadership is all around us. It is as much as there is a Sundar Pichai or a Esradiratnam or a Indra Nui that inspires us. There are so many people around me now doing their thing in a small way that inspires them, right? Uh, that inspires me. Uh, like what Shiv is doing with Tamil culture, I'm not just doing this to thank Shiv for the opportunity, but what Shiv has done with Tamil culture is I think incredible. Like she's been one, and, and, and Shiv is, as usual, not on camera, doesn't have a name on it, has the TC logo, classic Shiv. I've known Shiv for a very long time. She has achieved, I think, something tremendous. Where else would you find a global English language platform for the Tamil world that has done, has run successfully for over a decade, making money, building connections and creating clout in a rapid fashion? And there is this one woman heading it all up that nobody knows about. Of all these names, I think Shiv would be right up there with them and that. and I really hope uh there's more and I know that she's going to take TC to even bigger places awesome I love it I love how you kind of rounded it all up and ended up at Tamil Culture and uh Shiv but hey thank you so much Kumaran for joining us today I know you're sick and I know it's really early in the morning but we really do appreciate it thank you so much thank you so much Arani really nice to meet you finally 